You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 923 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday morning. Thank you, as always, for joining us on the podcast today. We will dive into what became a 122-116 to loss for the Hawks at the hands of the Mavericks this evening. But first, I want to plug some previous stuff on the podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard. I've been talking to Glenn Willis earlier this week, as well as Ben Ladder at the end of last week. All kinds of game recaps and analysis and all of that stuff on the feed. So catch up with us if you'd like to, and please subscribe to the podcast. As for the game itself, lots of matchup stuff coming into the game. Obviously, a lot of hype around this one. As I pointed out on Twitter earlier this week, it was the first meeting between Trey Young and Luka Doncic since December 13th of 2018. That is a long time. I think I was even surprised by that when I when I found it. And uh, it's just kind of jarring, you know, two-plus years between games, between, between these guys. And it's because Luka missed both matchups last year with injury. And uh, b- both times that they played as rookies, it was early in the season. So it's been a long while, a lot of hype leading up to that, obviously. And, you know, it is what it is there, but Dallas actually lost six in a row coming into Wednesday's game. They were 8-13. and 13. They're obviously better than that, but at the same time, they were not playing particularly well in the spot. They were without injuries, though, which is important to point out because the Hawks are very shorthanded at this point in time. So that was, I think, sort of an X factor at times in this game as to sort of player availability, which we'll get into momentarily. But the Hawks were without DeAndre Hunter, of course, and then Akongwu was ruled out before the game started after being listed as questionable. And uh, without Bogdanovich and Dunn and all that, the Hawks are still shorthanded. So worth pointing out there. It was controversial, but Dallas was actually favored in this game on the road by two points, according to our friends at BetOnline.ag. And uh, I got a lot of questions about that. You know, it's one of those things where bookmakers often do interesting things on point spreads. And obviously Dallas won the game, which doesn't tell you that it was the right line, but it's just one of the, one of those things that, ha- that happens in this space sometimes. But maybe some desperation for Dallas on a losing streak. Maybe, maybe just a power rating thing by whoever's making the lines there. But Dallas was favored in this game, which was definitely a surprise. But alas... We'll dive into the game itself. Um, Lots of back and forth throughout the game. That's worth pointing out here. It was a pretty close-fought game until the fourth quarter. kind of got out of hand a little bit. But there were 10 lead changes and 16 ties. It was a very, very back-and-forth game throughout. Um, And really, this game flipped, as I look ahead just for a second, at the end of the third quarter into the fourth, which has happened before this season. We'll we'll talk about that later when it comes. But there were a lot of little runs, but that was probably the one that sort of was glaring in a lot of ways. At the outset, the Mavs opened up with an 11-4 lead, including a 7-0 run to get a timeout from the Hawks. Atlanta turned the ball over four times in the first three minutes of the game. That was a little bit of a struggle early on. In fact, it was kind of everybody, too. It was every starter except for John Collins turned the ball over in the opening minutes of the game. To Atlanta's credit, they actually calmed down the turnovers throughout the rest of the game. They only had 16 the entire night. And considering how bad it was early on, that was uh, a reasonable number, but it was definitely a problem in the first quarter for sure. The Hawks did sort of have trouble finding their um, footing offensively. I'm going to play some audio for you later on, but the Hawks were blitzed a lot. Trey Young in particular was blitzed a lot by double teams in this game. Uh, pretty aggressive stuff from Dallas. Now, not necessarily an innovative strategy. We've seen teams do this before, uh, contrary to what kind of what Trey was saying after the game. I'm not sure it was much different than what the Hawks have seen at times in terms of the blitzing that was ha- taking place, but Dallas was very aggressive, getting the ball out of Trey's hands, and that was successful for large portions of this game. 
at any rate, Kevin Herter found his footing. He was the first one to kind of get going offensively. He had six straight points after the Hawks fell behind 13-4. to The Hawks' rotation pattern was pretty normal in this game, although there were some tweaks along the way. They went to Solomon Hill as the first sub for Clay Capella. Actually, they had some foul trouble as well. Trey Young got his, got his second foul at, at about the six-minute mark of the first quarter. That allowed Rondo to come in early for the Hawks, and Trey sat the rest of the period and then played the vast majority of the second, so a little bit different in terms of the way that had to go because of the foul trouble, but still a normal allotment of minutes from Trey. And honestly, it was pretty whistle-happy in this game. It was not a very well-officiated game, I will say. Um, in addition to a lot of whistles, I will credit Kevin Schnard of Hawks.com on this one, but Kevin uh, pointed out to me on Twitter, and I agree with this, that there were a lot of whistles and also a lot of non-whistles. It was not consistent necessarily. Dallas was grabbing a lot, for instance, and it was just not a it was not a very well officiated game. And the lack of flow was pretty jarring at times, especially in the first half. As a result, uh, I will point out that Tony Snell played very well in this game. He was actually a DNP on Monday, so I was not surprised to see him. But he played well, and he was a pretty big factor in this game when he was playing. And then Gallinari had a, had a good game as well, which we'll talk about momentarily. Um, but both teams missing a lot of threes in the early going. They actually opened up tied, sorry, uh, two, two of 14 from three between the two teams, turnovers, etc. Um, Gallinari had 10 points in the first quarter, including five at the free throw line and only 445 of gameplay. So 10 points in five minutes. Uh, pretty impressive there out of the gate for him. But Dallas kind of had a little bit of an uneven stretch of their own. There was a late three by Tim Hardaway Jr. of, of course, former Hawks fame to go by four at the end of the first quarter. But it was pretty ugly all things considered, in that opening period. But Dallas Dallas did lead 26-22. In the second quarter, it was better for the Hawks. It was their best quarter of the night, at least according to the box score. Um, It was Snell along with the starters to open the second quarter. He played for Reddish during that time. He had a three to tie it. And he was really good, honestly, in that first half. And really the entire time that he was playing in this game, he was really good. There was a 9-2 run by the Hawks to go up to actually take the lead back at 35-33. That was uh, ignited by a lob from Young to Capella. And again, the Mavs were really trapping Trey. He had some adjustments to make. He finally made him at, at some point in the game. They also targeted him a lot defensively, especially, I thought, in the first half. They were really going after him, trying to get post-ups with various guys on their roster on him. And uh, there was one notable one where Hardaway Jr. went kind of right through Trey for a layup in a one-on-one situation. But he was at least competitive for the most part. He didn't have a field goal, though, for a long time. His first field goal was in the second quarter um, because of the foul trouble that he had in the first. He had, a, he had a deep three, though, to put the Hawks up by a 42-39 margin. And he played, again, pretty much the entire first, uh, the entire second quarter, I should say. They actually put in Brennan Goodwin for the final six seconds of the first half because Cam got his third foul, and that was the only time that he played in the entire game. The lead did swell to six for the Hawks at one point late in the first half, and then Luka had a, back, had a step back three on the final possession to cut the lead to 56-53, I should say, a three-point lead at the half. Still, after a dreadful start offensively for the Hawks and also 10 turnovers in the first half, to have scored the way they did, which was about 1.14 points per, per, per possession, that's pretty impressive for the Hawks, quite honestly considering how bad it was at times. And a lot of that was that they shot the ball very well in the second quarter. They were 15 of 25. That's 60%, of course. And uh, they had three guys in double figures with Herter, Gallinari, and Collins at the break. And Capella had 11 rebounds. Very, very good from Herter and Gallinari, as well as Collins had kind of made his mark throughout the game, especially in the second half. He had 25 after the half, by the way, did John Collins. But before we get to the second half, and we'll talk about the rest of the machinations in this particular game. Until then, though, a word from our friends at CBDMD. February is here and the holidays are behind us and that means it's time to catch up on some badly needed sleep. 
While getting a good night's sleep is sometimes easier said than done, our good friends at CBDMD have exactly what you need to sleep harder than some corners of the NBA media have slept on Hawks forward DeAndre Hunter. CBD PM blends 500 milligrams of high-quality CBD with melatonin, valerian root, chamomile, and other sleeping money ingredients to create a powerful and effective sleep aid. If you feel like relaxing before you try to sleep, their CBD bath salts will fuse superior CBD with Epsom, Dead Sea, and Himalayan salts to turn any bath into a luxury experience. And beyond that, the bath salts are available in lavender or eucalyptus scents, as well as a soothing nighttime blend with melatonin and calming herbs. CBDMD is huge for me to help pedal down after a long night covering the Hawks or covering other NBA storylines, and they're fantastic for anyone trying to relax or help to improve their sleeping habits. And to make things even easier, they're offering all of our listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that is CBDMD.com, promo code NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior products from CBDMD. All right, we'll dive in now to the second half of this game. And as I said before, a lot of back and forth. So we'll go through it as we always do on the podcast. Collins began the second half with a three to put the Hawks up by six. Um, That was the only points, though, for the Hawks in the first three minutes. Sort of a stall out of the gate in the second half. Dallas then tied it, even while not shooting the ball particularly well. It was actually a 13-5 overall run by Dallas to take the lead by five at one point early in the third quarter. There was a technical foul on Trey Young in a live ball situation. In fact... The official looked like he went, like, like he almost wanted to eject Trey. Uh, he was I'm not sure what he said there, but that was a quick technical and then a, sort of a stare down from the official. At that point in time, they do uh, go to the bench pretty quickly because Cam Reddish was very bad in this game throughout, and they actually went briefly, very briefly, to Dono and Kalinari at the three for about three possessions, and then they brought in Solomon Hill. And that was the first time this season I think that Gallinari played the three at all, and even then it was kind of a planned small stint because they went to, to Hill for Capella moments later with Solomon playing the three after that. But then a nice little run with a three by Collins, then a three by Gallinari, and then a catch-and-shoot three by Trey Young after his own miss, and Snell kicked it back out to him, and suddenly the Hawks go from down eight or so to up one late in the third. There was a fourth foul on Capella. It was an offensive foul. It was a very bad call, by the way, um, and one that one ref actually emphatically overruled the other, and that's usually not a great sign always, and it was a pretty bad call, I thought. Late, so they had to pull him from the game at one point in time. And then Trey Young goes to the bench with 249 left in the third quarter. And I always make a note, as I've said before on the show, whenever Trey, le- whenever Trey leaves the court, I make a note of what the score is and what the time and score is just because of the situation and how bad the Hawks have been at times with him off the court. Now, this year, I was hoping it wouldn't be a thing anymore because the Hawks, of course, invested a ton of money in various guys, including Rajon Rondo and then Bogdanovich, etc. But of course, Bogdanovich is hurt, Dunn is hurt. And Rondo has not been playing particularly well, which is certainly important for the rest of this section of the podcast. So he goes to the bench. It's a tie game uh, to the, I would say in sort of, sort of a tweak from the last time when people got really mad about Lloyd Pierce's rotations, they did have Collins and Gallinari out there together to sort of offset not having Trey in the game. So that, that's a plus. And I think that's actually what I wanted them to do last time. So I agree with that decision, but I will say this first, broadly speaking, Trey has to come out of the game and Rajon Rondo is making Two years, $15 million. Now, I did not like that contract. I said as much. But when you pay that much for a backup point guard and someone who has the uh, cachet of Rondo, he is going to play, and he's going to play regularly when he's healthy. So that's sort of the broad strokes. At any rate, in that run um, without Trey, it did not go very well. So the end of the third quarter, 
there was a kind of a weird challenge by Pierce. Um, it was a very, very clear flop by Porzingis. And Pierce actually won the challenge on Porzingis, but it was sort of a low leverage challenge. So, yes, you won it. But I think that was kind of a bad one from Lloyd, if it's my view. So sort of a philosophical issue because he obviously won the challenge, but the leverage of it was pretty low. Anyway, it didn't really matter all that much in this game. There wasn't like a huge moment to use it later on necessarily. But um, the Hawks lost the final three minutes by five points. Um, there was some very very bad Rondo in that stretch. All, I would say overall, the offense was pretty good in the third quarter, but defensively it was a problem. Dallas made five threes and eight free throws in the third quarter alone. But then you get into the early part of the fourth quarter. So by the time Trae Young comes back in the game, the Hawks are down by eight. So they were minus eight in about the six, you know, five and a half minutes that he sat on the bench, which isn't like an absolute disaster, but it's pretty bad. And you lose the game by six. That's kind of an indicator that of what was going on there. So that's a big part of the game. And as a spoiler alert, the Hawks were plus four with Trey on the court and minus 10 with him off the court. And that is not a coincidence necessarily. So I will say when he came back in, it was not like the Hawks stabilized immediately. In fact, uh, both Young and Reddish combined to miss four shots. It was two each there. And then um, other than a one bucket that was in there from the Hawks, uh, Reddish got blocked by Doncic at the rim. That led to a dunk by Porzingis. And then the Leeds double digits all of a sudden. So that little run, both without Trey mostly, and then with Trey when he first came back in, was kind of the difference in the game. I will say this. Obviously, lots of complaints about Lloyd Pierce. As it is almost every night the Hawks lose, there's always a deluge of comments. I, I get that. I would say that Rondo being bad is a front office problem <laughs> because Rondo is the guy I probably would not have signed, but uh, you're going to have to play him. Like, I think it's not realistic to expect Lloyd Pierce to just not play Rajon Rondo is, is what I will say about that. Uh, I will I will point out that he could have called timeout at one point early in the fourth, and I might have done that a little bit quicker, but Trey has to sit. Trey played 36 minutes in this game um, on the first night of a back-to-back. That's not egregious by any means, especially when he had foul trouble in the first quarter. So he might he might have played 38 minutes or so. You can't really play him much more than that. And right now, without Bogdanovich, without Dunn, you kind of have to play Rondo. Like the other option, especially without Hunter, like for all the hate that this, I mean, I guess the other option is Goodwin, and Goodwin would have been, been fine. But again, Rondo is not going to not play over Goodwin if healthy, just in realistic terms, this early in the season. And then the non-PG lineups, they actually did go to that for a brief time in this game, but you don't really have a creator in those lineups right now. With, I mean, I think Herter can do a little bit of that, but with, with as bad as Cam Reddish was in this game, you just didn't have a lot of buys on the perimeter. So it didn't go well in that run. The Hawks did lose this game, in my opinion, because of the late third and early fourth. If you want to blame that on Pierce, that's that's okay, I guess. Um, but it was really just the fact that the Hawks were unable to get anything done without Trey. And this is not all Rondo, but Rondo was quite bad in this game. He was not the only one. Uh, Reddish was probably worse and more destructive, quite frankly. We'll talk about those guys a little bit later on the podcast. But I do want to play you a little bit about that stretch right now before we move on um, to the rest of the game. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you probably listen to the game or at least watch the game in part. So uh, one bit of audio that I want to play for you on this stretch is that Lloyd Pierce referenced the early part of the fourth and the late part of the third in his opening statement. So I'm going I'm to play that for you, and then it's immediately followed by a follow-up question, and then Lloyd talking about the third and fourth quarter again. So here's what he had to say about that stretch of time. You know, t- tough game. They did a good job, credit to them, of, of taking Trey out of the action early and, and, and really when they needed to, denying him the basketball and forcing other guys to make plays. I thought Kevin John really did a great job of stepping up. Um, but you know, just just scrambled a lot with with their denials and the two the two guys hitting Trey. 
uh, to keep him out of the action. And I thought we had a, a really poor end of third, start of fourth quarter stretch, uh, which really was a separation tonight. Um, Lloyd, you mentioned end of the third to start of the fourth. Um, what specifically can you point to that allowed Two turnovers to start? Uh, I think the fourth uh, right away, or maybe at the end of the third, we started off with two turnovers. Um, you know, we, we let Tim Hardaway, who was hot, we went under on a screen and he comes off and hits the three. And then right after that, they're in the bonus. And we kind of just gave a silly foul, which put him to the free throw line. And so, you know, that, that was the stretch, no shots on offense. And, uh, you know, a hot guy was able to keep going down that, that, that uh, sequence. Kurtz is Sarah Spencer of the AJC, whose voice you heard in the middle of there, but that was what Lloyd had to say about that run. And again, the Hawks lost this game in that in that stretch. It wasn't just that stretch. They had some other moments in the game that were that were bad, but if you want to point out to one stretch of the game, that was it. And there you have it. Now, the Hawks did come back, um, I would say, admirably at the end of the game. They were down by 12 with about seven minutes to go coming out of a timeout. They went to Solomon Hill for Cam Reddish. That was the right decision, uh, at least they had to go someone other than Reddish who was very bad in this game, and that ended up working pretty well. Hill was better and got some got some praise after the game from Pierce and others. I agree with that. I think he played reasonably well in large duty. The Hawks only scored eight points in the first six and a half minutes of the fourth quarter, but they kind of broke out of that from there with a Kevin Herter three, getting it down to 11. Still, the Hawks fell behind by 15 points with 347 to go. Now, it should be over at that point in time, and I kind of felt like, like it was, honestly, um, but... Then the Hawks came alive. Collins was great for a stretch. They actually scored five straight points. And then Collins had a big dunk to cut it to 10. Then another dunk to cut it to 8. Then they did allow a point back uh, by Dallas. And then Collins had a jump shot to get it back to 8 again. So with that little 7-0, 9-2 run, they were able to get back in touch a little bit. They got they got a couple stops in a row. They did force a miss by Hardaway. Trey hits a mid-range j- a jumper with about 115 to go to cut it to 6. They traded baskets, actually, from there, including a nice high-low pass from Collins to Capella for a dunk. But then there was an awful turnover by Dallas at midcourt, and Trey hit a very, very long three-pointer with 42 seconds to go to cut the lead to 115 to 112. So they go from down 15 to down three in about three minutes. That's a big run to get very interesting from that point in time. So you're down down one possession. Now, they could not get the stop. The biggest one of the night, I think, was the fact that right after that play— Luca missed uh, missed the layup at the rim, but Porzingis got, got a tip in to go back up by five. And I'm not sure why Trey was on the court defensively, other than maybe the Hawks trying to get a transition play after that. That was something I would have changed. The Hawks had a timeout to use. I, I, probably, I probably would have taken Trey off the court at that point in time. I know that's sort of dicey with your best player, but that was a spot where they had to get a stop. It wasn't because of Trey necessarily. Um, Solomon Hill went very high on the court trying to get a, trying to get pressure on Doncic, and he's not quick enough to stay with him necessarily that far into the game. So he beat. He beat Hill off the dribble, got in the lane, and then uh, they could not corral the rebound. That was a bit, that was probably the biggest defensive player of the game that, that did not happen for the Hawks. From there, Trey did score. They fouled. The Mavs made both. Then Trey scored again, a quick two, so four quick points there from Trey. They fouled Tim Hardaway Jr., who splits the pair of free throws, and the Hawks are down by four with about 12 seconds to go. Um, then the game was over because Trey misses a step back three, and then they have to foul again, and that's kind of the end of that. But... You know, being the fact the fact that they were within one, one possession in this game multiple times in the final minute is uh, relatively impressive from where they were, but the rest of the fourth quarter was so bad before that that it's kind of a hit-and-miss situation. So there you go. That's sort of the, uh, the game flow of what transpired here. Uh, you know, overall, in terms of some takeaways from the actual performance, non-individual-wise, the Hawks shot the ball well in this game, at least in total. 
They had 50% from the floor. They shot 14 of 38 from three. That's Those are both very, very solid numbers. They had 31 assists. That's a lot of assists. They had 16, 16 turnovers, which is too many, but it was better after the first stretch of the game. And the Hawks scored about 1.18 points per possession in this game. That is a lot. Um, that's better than average for sure. That should be enough to win. They just could not get the stops that they needed to get in this game, and that was the reason why they were um, unable to you know, do that. Um, defensively, they allowed 1.24 points per possession. That's not going to get it done, and it's particularly problematic because Dallas didn't shoot the ball that well in this game. They were 13 of 40 from three, and that is like not terrible, but that's not like not a barrage necessarily. They just, they just kind of got beaten up. Dallas won the possession battle in this game, and some specialized areas that I actually pointed to a little bit before the game started on Twitter earlier today, but the Hawks had some advantages on paper in this game that they did not necessarily take advantage of. So one of them was the glass. Dallas has been really bad uh, on, on the glass on both ends of the floor this season, and the Hawks have been great on the on the glass all season long. In this game, the Hawks did win the offensive rebounding battle in the way that they needed to, but defensively, they allowed the Mavs to grab about 20, 28% of their misses, um, 13 offensive rebounds. That's pretty bad defensive rebounding for the Hawks. That's one area in which they should have been dominating, that they were not able to get that dominating uh, takeaway. The other one was free throw shooting. So the Hawks came into this game number two in the league in free throw rate. They famously have gotten the line a ton this season, both Trey and Gallo and other players. And the the Mavs were bottom five in the league in free throw rate allowed. So they were bad at fouling, and the Hawks uh, Hawks are really good at drawing free throws. But in this game, the Hawks only attempted 17 free throws, nine for Gallinari, only three for Trey Young, which is one one of the lowest of the season for Trey. And Dallas got to the line um, 25 times. So... If you had told me the game, in this game the Hawks were going to lose the free throw battle, I would have been pretty surprised, and they lost it pretty decisively, 25-17. to 17. So that's definitely a problem as well. And the Mavs, did, the Mavs were really good taking care of the ball, so that was an area which they had a, a strength, and they that definitely continued in this game. But I think overall the possession battle was a problem in a big way for the Hawks, and that ended up kind of biting them. So the other thing that I want to talk about strategically for a second before we get into the broad takeaways later on, about the individual players is the thing about Trey Young getting trapped and the way that they, they were defended. So I'm going to, I tweeted about this, got, got a lot of interesting reactions. So I'm going to let you guys hear what they actually had to say in their own words. Um, Trey was asked um, sort of about the way that they were defending him in the game. So I'm going to play you the audio of Trey. You'll hear Sarah Spencer at the beginning that Chris Kirshner asked a follow-up question. This is what Trey had to say about the way that Dallas defended him in this game. Hey, Trey, um, what stood out to you about the way they were guarding you and their approach? And what did you and the team do to kind of adjust throughout the game? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, just the way they guarded me kind of surprised me. Uh, I haven't got faced like defense like that in a, a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, just them trapping me as soon as I got the ball in just to get on my hands. Um, I mean, just I haven't had that happen for a while, just them picking up so far up. Um, but then... I mean, we just kind of, after that, it was just, we were just kind of just playing uh, and it just um, kind of just worked in their favor. They, as soon as I got off of it, they were kind of denying me back and we were just kind of uh, all over the place. So, I mean, that was a, a good learning lesson for us. When teams are face guarding you and trapping you, is it frustrating for you to play that way or, or how do you feel about it? No, I mean, it's, it's the ultimate sign of respect. Uh, especially the way they, they, they guarded me tonight. Um, that just shows the, the respect factor that they have for me. And uh, they just know what I can do with the ball in my hands. And so um, my job is to bring two people with me. And then, um, I mean, 
after that, it's four on three. So uh, I just try to do my part and um, just kind of bring two people with me. So I was surprised that Trey was surprised, if that makes sense. I, I get that it's not a strategy that he always sees, but I was asking around to make sure I wasn't crazy for some people that I trust after the game and kind of there was a lot of confusion. You know, Trey Young has often been attacked defensively in the way that he was in this game. It might have been a little bit differently in terms of what uh, Dallas was doing, like in the aggressiveness of it. They were doing it very quickly. That is something that's maybe worth pointing out. But in terms of this style, he's been trapped like this multiple times. I was talking to a good friend about this afterwards, um, but I won't credit now. But I think even the Dallas game last year, they did a little bit of this as well. So I'm not sure why he was surprised if he was about the strategy. It definitely worked. And, you know, that's not all on Trey. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on. But, you know, this is a, this is a strategy that a lot of teams have used. And with the way the Hawks did not have personnel in this game uh, without Hunter, with some shooting woes, and they just were not allowed to, they were not able to, I should say, um, take advantage of this. But that's not on Trey. Trey made the right play quite a bit in this spot, so I'm not blaming him whatsoever. I was just a little bit surprised that he was surprised, if that makes sense, about the uh, coverages and all of that stuff. But you got to have other guys make plays, and there you go on that. But I want to follow up before I move on to something else. Uh, Lloyd Pierce was actually asked about this, and I'll just play the audio for you about Lloyd talking about the same trapping approach that Dallas was using. Yeah, I mean, we have a couple built-in counters. I think one of the times we got him on the backside and he was able to come off and get a lob to the big. We, we set a little pin down for him. The bottom line is he's going to have to work differently. Um, there's going to have to require some movement for, from him. Uh, when they do that, there's one defender down because that guy has tracked on him. We got a couple lobs, and John got a couple lobs, and Clint got a couple lobs as a result of them not helping off of him. So he's just got to be a guy that's willing to work. We, we have a couple counters that are built in, uh, but it's going to require a tremendous amount of work and it's going to require a tremendous amount of spacing and execution to get him the basketball on the second side. That's what I was alluding to earlier. Uh, he's got to become a really good second side player uh, when teams are denying him. And there's a couple things that we're doing, but it's just more work. It's different work. So we'll talk about Trey more in the individual section of the podcast, but I thought that was interesting and something that a lot of people noticed and because of the comments then you know, the fact that we talked about them and the reporting, the, the reporters talked about them after the fact that got more, even more attention, but it was not conventional necessarily, but not a huge surprise to me that Dallas would get the ball out of his hands the way they did and it was effective. So they kept doing it. And there you go on that. Okay. Well, broadly speaking, I would wrap this up on, on this segment by saying the Hawks did not play all that poorly in this game. Um, defensively, they had some breakdowns, and just personnel-wise, they had a couple guys that kind of did not give them very much in this game, and you can kind of point to as potentially part of the reasoning. So that's a transition into our follow-up section on the individual play. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. The NFL season is coming to a close in the near future, but the biggest game of all is still to come. And with that in mind, there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. If you're listening to this show, you will undoubtedly know that the NBA is now in full swing. On top of that, basketball fans may also be interested in jam-packed college basketball slates virtually every night of the week. And from there, the matchup for all the marbles in the NFL is now set. And there are other sports also worthy of your attention, from hockey to soccer to MMA and baseball is coming soon. If none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings from BetOnline on any sport you can think of. And BetOnline also has a huge menu of player props as well as live wagering options, future bets, alternate lines, and much, much more. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag. 
but online, your online sportsbook experts. And to wrap up the podcast today, we'll talk about the individual players one by one as the, uh, at least the guys that participated in this spot. The Hawks actually made both of the two-way guys inactive in this game, which wasn't a huge impact, but um, because they are limited in the amount of games that they can play, the Hawks have been doing this every once in a while when they have a healthy enough roster to go ahead and do that with Nathan Knight and Skylar Mays, so to point that out, as well as it was back-to-back, so that allows them to maybe be fresh for tomorrow if they have to have them play in an emergency situation. Other than that, the only other guy that did not play at all was Bruno Fernando, who was active, a DNPCD for Bruno. And Brenda only played six minutes, so that's kind of, I'm sorry, six seconds, I should say, not six minutes. Um, so nothing really to talk about there. Um, but there was a four-man bench for Atlanta. Um, Rondo will start there to sort of get, get this out of the way. He played the fewest minutes. He played 11 minutes. He was very bad. Uh, zero points. Did have three assists, which is worth pointing out. He's still a good passer, but two two turnovers, 0-4 from the floor, 0-2 from three. And then defensively, it was an adventure, to say the least, and the Hawks were minus nine in those minutes. You know, it's not a surprise that he's not dialed in every night necessarily, given his recent uh, performances in the regular season the last couple of years. But this is one of those nights where the Hawks needed him to be a stabilizing force, and he just wasn't that. So I'm not hugely surprised. I think this was regular season Rondo in a lot of ways, which is unfortunate. But without the other options, you know, without Bogdanovich, without even Hunter in this game, other guys like that, they didn't really have another counter to go to, and he just did not play very well in this game. I'm not sure he was the reason the Hawks lost, but he was uh, certainly a negative overall, and that famous stretch late third, early fourth was uh, with him on the court, and that stood out in a big way. Um, Elsewhere, more positive on the other guys off the bench in this game. Tony Snell, 15 minutes. He was perfect from the floor, 3 of 3 from the floor, 2 of 2 from 3, had 8 points, 2 assists, 3 rebounds. I thought he played pretty darn well, honestly. Um, This is the kind of the player that I think Tony Snell is. Not going to be a high usage guy, not going to be a huge flashy guy, but makes the right play, can shoot a little bit, and uh, he's running into form a little bit. I'm sure he's still in a minutes restriction of some sort. The Hawks have not been uh, hugely divulgent on all of that stuff, but he's uh, he was available and played well in this game, so credit to Tony Snell, who came off uh, pretty cold. He did not play on Monday again, so nice to see him performing at an encouraging level. Solomon Hill did not score in 26 minutes of play, and I actually thought played reasonably well. It was plus 11, a little bit of noise in there, obviously, but 0-2 from the floor, and actually missed both of his free throw attempts as well. Had three rebounds, an assist, a steal. Defensively made, made a lot of made a lot of a lot of solid plays. I don't think he was great, but they needed him to be at least reasonable in this spot. He was better than Reddish, for instance, and he made some winning plays along the way. And then Gallinari had a season high with 19 points in this game. Um, Gallo, you know, by the way, had that season high by the end of the third quarter, which is worth pointing out. Um, after the game. Pierce let it slip that it was Gallinari is on a miss restriction still, which we knew, but it's 20 minutes, according to tonight anyway, and tomorrow's back-to-back, so I can't imagine it's going to go up. Uh, he played 21, so they actually went over a little bit, but Pierce has been kind of coy about the specific numbers of minutes for a lot of these guys. Gallinari, we knew, at least I knew strongly, that he was on a restriction of some sort, but that explains why he didn't play more. He was awesome in the first half, definitely slowed down a little bit, but still scored 19 points on... Only 11 shot attempts, two away from, from three, which is not, not necessarily great, but got to the line nine times, made all nine, um, two assists, two rebounds, and a block shot. He was good in the short roll. Um, when Trey was being trapped, they could he was he was the best option in terms of just the facilitation on that on that four on three situation in the short roll. So he does have a lot of strength. Defensively, he's not very good, obviously, but he can make some uh, impact plays offensively. We saw that in this game. And if he could have played more, maybe that would have helped them a little bit more. And then, uh, yeah, that was the bench. T- to the starters... Um, I thought, you know, we'll go with four. At least four of the five starters played reasonably well in this game. The fifth, though, was Cam Reddish. And Reddish, 
we talked about Rondo before. I think Reggio's probably even worse than Rondo because he played double the minutes. Um, one, of, one of eight from the floor, 0 of 4 from 3. Two points, three rebounds, an assist, and two turnovers. Uh, coming into the game, I was focused on Reg because he is very clearly the best option without Hunter on the floor anyway to guard Luka Doncic. So you wanted to play him a lot because you want to have somebody to throw at Luka, who is very productive, of course. And Cam, you know, wasn't terrible at that. He had a couple nice plays defensively. You're never going to stop Luka Doncic necessarily, but I think that Cam played, you know, not terribly defensively. He, he again, made a couple plays. Offensively, it was quite bad. There's no other way around it. Um, I don't, I don't want to pile on too much here, but he was a severe negative. Force spacing-wise, he really hurt their spacing. They were just much better offensively with even, with even Hill on the court, much less Snell, who was more of a threat. And Reddish just kind of really hurt their offense in a big way. He was minus 10 in his minutes, and honestly, they, he earned not playing as much. I got a couple questions. From, I actually got a question from somebody who did not watch the game, just saw just saw the box score, and, and they were up front with that um, coming in, but they basically asked me, you know, why didn't Cam play so so little? And my response was, well, because he was terrible. And he was. So it doesn't mean that he's bad long-term. doesn't mean that I'm going to bury him as a player, but this is not a good night for Cam Reddish, and offensively this season it's been kind of a struggle. So um, I don't want to go belabor that anymore, but he was a severe negative, and uh, that was a – problem in this game, especially because Hunter was out and Bogdanovich and all that stuff. They, they, they needed, they needed uh, Cam to be good, and he just wasn't. Um, the other four starters were all productive to varying degrees. Capella was probably the worst of the four um, in terms of what their normal baselines are. He did have 13 rebounds 13 and, and three blocks, so he made a lot of defensive plays still, but offensively wasn't like a huge plus. was minus 15 in the game overall, so that was a little bit of noise in there, but I, I think that he wasn't like dominant he played reasonably well. He did add some things to the Hawks, and obviously it was better than um, you know the other options that were available to them. So no no shade here, but it wasn't like a dominant effort like he has had in the past. He's had some better nights recently. Um, elsewhere from there, Kevin Herter had a double double, twenty one points and ten assists. A uh, at least a season high, if not a career high for Kevin in assists. He was uh, slinging it around defensively. Had a couple of a uh, couple of faux pas along the way, but shot the ball well. 8 of 15 from the floor, 4 of 8 from 3. Uh, I thought he was effective, had two steals, had five rebounds. He was uh, he was good overall. A couple of nice, um, couple of nice moments, especially um, when, I would say, acting as a facilitator when Trey was having the ball forced out of his hands. He was good in that role in this game. Uh, defensively, again, like, pretty solid off the ball. What not going to be a lockdown guy on the ball, but I thought I thought Kevin was a general plus. In the fourth, he had a couple of uh, small mishaps. There was one um, bunny that he kind of missed. That was a, that was sort of a pivotal swing at the end, but other than that, I think it was an overall positive night for Kevin Herter, and the Hawks needed it in a big way, especially because of the way that Reddish played. Um, and then the two stars of the team, obviously, uh, Trey Young, tw- twenty-one points, nine assists, four rebounds, had, had four turnovers in the game, was plus four as I said before, shot the ball okay, he was eight of eighteen from the floor, three of eight from three. Um, I will say a couple of those points were, uh, you know, the quick layup garbage time kind of points when you're trying to get back and that's worth pointing out. I don't, I don't think it was a great Trey Young game by any means. I don't think he was terrible either. I think he made the right play a lot and the trapping was interesting um, and the way they got the ball out of his hands. So you can't really blame him too much for the offense. And again, the Hawks were much better with him on the court than off the court. That's been a theme for two years. It's still the theme now. And um, you know, you can't ignore the symbolism of any way of him being plus four in a six point loss. That kind of speaks for itself. So I thought Trey played pretty well. It wasn't like he was great, uh, but he was not 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 poor either. And then Collins was very very good in this game. 35, 35 points to tie a season high. Also, he had um, 
That's also his career high, which he's had four times. It's kind of a fluky thing where he's had the same career high four times in, four times in his career, but has never actually eclipsed it. Um, 35 and 12 for John. 16 of 21 from the floor. That's extremely efficient, obviously. 3 of 4 from 3. Didn't get to the line at all, which is jarring. Um, but I thought he played well defensively. Made a lot of uh, made a lot of good plays on both Porzingis and Max Kleber along the way. I thought he was a good cleanup guy. You know, you can't really say too much about John. He was uh, very, very good in this game. The one thing that I would point out is that he was not necessarily comfortable in that short roll setting. That's one of the areas that we've, we've been talking about for a long time with Collins improving. He's gotten better at so many things. Um, in, in his in his career so far, especially in the last year, year and a half, uh, particularly defensively. But that's one area that I think you want to still see him uh, sort of refine a little bit is that short roll passing game and that playmaking. He's just not as good as that at that as other guys. Like, for instance, Gallinari is just a much better playmaker than Collins is. Again, I'm not checking away from Collins. He, Collins was good overall. I'm not saying otherwise. He was very good in this game, and the numbers back that up. But that's the one area if you want to circle something for him to work on, that's probably it, and just the area of kind of being more comfortable in that, in that four-on-three setting, getting the ball and facilitating for others. But he was very good in this game, and there you have it. So overall, the Hawks did not play poorly. They did not play extremely well, and they could have won this game. But um, alas, they did not. And uh, the task does not let up for Atlanta as we sort of tradition into the end of the podcast. The Hawks now will host the Jazz on Thursday. It's a back-to-back. No, no rest for the weary for Atlanta. And Utah, by the way, is 16-5 and this season. They've won 12 of the last 13 games, so they are absolutely red hot. And also, they're not on any rest. Uh, the Hawks are on a rest advantage in this game. Now, it helps that they're going to be at home. That's always a positive. Like, no travel is usually a good thing in this instance. At the same time, Utah is the well-rested team in this spot. And coming into the day, coming into the day on Wednesday, the Jazz were in the, in the top six in offense and defense this season. Um, it's, a, it's a tough matchup. I was looking at the uh, sort of projections uh, early in this game without knowing injuries and all that stuff, and most of those were like in the seven, eight-point range for Utah. Um, that's That'll tell you. So the Hawks can win. Obviously, they absolutely can knock off the Jazz. Um, the Hawks played the Jazz already once this season. That is worth pointing out. A lot of these, you know, games so far this season have been like you know the game game one of um, a series. This time around, they've actually seen Utah. They got bludgeoned though in that game. They lost by 24 on the road. Granted, they were on the road. It was still early, and they the game was probably a little bit closer than that, but. Not exactly an encouraging data point. Um, nothing in terms of the injury report. Nothing's official right now because they won't have to post that until Thursday evening. Uh, sorry, th- till Thursday afternoon. But the Hawks do. You know, it would, it would be great if they had Hunter in this game. I'm gonna guess he doesn't play. It's just my blind guess based on the reporting that's you know that they announced and all that stuff and no updates today from Lloyd Pearson, DeAndre Hunter. But so if he misses the game, they'll be shorthanded again. Tough task on Thursday. It's winnable, but it's not one where the Hawks are expected to win, and that is worth pointing out. Okay, I've done enough um, rambling on the podcast this evening. Please stay tuned for more on the show. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends about the show. We'll be back again after the game on Thursday evening.